Sensible Foodie, a podcast by a foodie dietitian just trying to make sense of the world. I'm your host, Kate Park. It's finally patio season, which I could not be more excited about. There's just something so joyful about sitting at a little cafe table, warm breeze and a drink with friends, the distinct possibility of getting robbed by a bold squirrel or pigeon that sees an opening. To be fair, I think sometimes people get a little comfortable with the wildlife thinking it's the same as their pet dog or cat. I once was sitting at a dockside restaurant having breakfast and there was this group of teenagers two tables down that were ecstatic that one of the local ducks had wandered up onto the patio. At first, they started throwing french fries, but as it got closer and closer, finally one of the girls attempted to feed the duck by hand. Let me just say, watching someone throw their phone while attempting to take a selfie while they're being bitten by a duck, still probably one of my favorite brunches ever. But enough about foul play. It's time to get into today's topic. Today, we're going to be discussing culinary creative processes and cooking under pressure with my guest, who is a perfect fit to talk about this subject. Matt Kershaw is the executive chef of Otherbird Restaurant Group, which includes some of Hamilton area's top restaurants, including Ratscallion Rogue Eatery, Hunter & Co., The Mule, and The Burrow. Matt has been a part of the restaurant industry since he was 13, starting out as a busboy and gradually working through the ranks to become a leader in the industry. He doesn't shy away from challenges in the kitchen or from flavor. Matt's style is big flavor and probably bad for you cooking, and his clear passion for his work shines and ultimately led to his victory on the reality TV show Chopped Canada in 2016, a reality TV show where four chefs are pitted against each other and in three rounds with a basket of random and sometimes bizarre ingredients that have to be transformed into amazing dishes under the pressure of a clock, as well as Firemasters in 2020. It's clear that Matt knows what he's doing when it's in the kitchen. Everyone, please welcome Matt Kershaw. Hi, Matt. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Good. How are you doing today? Excellent. Excellent. Thanks so much for being here. Just so listeners have an understanding, can you please explain the difference between being a head chef and an executive chef? So, I mean, when when you get to the industry, there's a lot of titles that are kind of thrown around and they may mean something, they may not mean something. Um Someone could be promoted to be a head chef or an executive chef with very little experience. It's up to the ind individual uh, restaurant to decide what the title is. As far as I see it, the executive chef um, will be someone who controls overall a restaurant group. They have many chefs underneath them, and a head chef would be the individual to a restaurant. But this could be debated. Okay. So it sounds like it just kind of depends on whether they're overseeing the larger part of the organization yeah. versus yeah. the individual restaurants. Yeah. And like sometimes the executive chef doesn't get to cook as much as they may once have. Oh, you sound a little sad about yeah. that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so what inspired you to become a chef? I, I grew up in a family where food was super important, food and drink for that matter. Um, I'd always been around it. I got into business when I was very young. And I didn't mean to become a chef, but at some point, I was always in the industry, went to university um, for commerce, nothing to do with cooking. And uh, my dad, who's a professor, and my mom, who's a very responsible person, asked me what was happening to my grades, because I traditionally had done quite well. And I said, well, I'm not really into university. It's okay. I'm having a good time. Um, and they asked me what I really wanted to do. And I said I wanted to cook. And they didn't, you know maybe think too much of that. Maybe finish your degree first. But uh, my dad said, go for it. Uh, even as a professor, he said, go for it. But make sure you uh, 
you're the best. He so. was really supportive yeah. of it as long yeah, yeah. as you were really truly passionate. As yeah. it sounds like you were, obviously yeah. were because you're running a pretty large <laughs> yeah. organization here in the city. <laughs> Things have worked out well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, that's great. Yeah. So let's talk about one of the big challenges you've taken on in your career being on Chopped Canada. So, what's more stressful? Dinner rush in a kitchen which is understaffed or Chopped Canada? It's a different type of stress. Uh, I would say when things are going really badly in a real kitchen, that's worse because <laughs> it's a show at the end of the day. It's true. You get to walk away from the yes. mess. Yes. Yeah. Watching you in front of the judge panel, it reminded me a bit like of auditioning, um, which I know myself can be anxiety inducing because you're basically kind of bearing your soul to strangers. Was it hard having your dishes critiqued by media icons and other chefs? It's a weird experience. There's a lot... When you're shooting these shows, there's a ton of time in between. It it, it happens over a whole day where you probably see it over 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. So there's a ton of time to think about what you did and what's going on. And you get a little anxious. And there was rounds where I knew I won and I still went out there extremely nervous. Even though get, I knew I knew I wasn't getting cut. But I was still really nervous. You get really in your head. You can't, you can't help it. Yeah. Too much time to think. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh was there any ingredients that threw you in the challenges? It was fun. Like before I went on Chopped, I practiced a ton. I watched every episode of Chopped I could get my hands on. And I had friends throw weird boxes of food at me, like really weird boxes. And I've also had a career where I've focused on a lot of weird cuts of things. I was used to weird ingredients and was feeling pretty confident going in. I'd done a lot of competition work before. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do really well at this. And then the first box opens up and it's a sea snail, which I've never seen nor touched before. And I was like, okay, uh, huh. So, <laughs> yeah. And yet you were able to make some gorgeous food out of it. I- yeah, yeah. It was, I, I mean, it's a sea snail. So I know what a snail is and I know things from the ocean. And I, I sort of made a guess. I took, uh, cut a piece off, ate it. I said, okay, this is kind of somewhere between... Uh, escargot and calamari and so what am I going to do with it and when in doubt uh, the strategy was always deep fried and so that's what I did it's amazing how many things you can deep fry to make edible yeah 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 <laughs> so your friends must have had a lot of fun creating these random boxes for you to get you prepped for this totally they actually uh, managed to pull an ingredient I used on the show for one of them it, it was fennel pollen in the, in the final rounds and someone had found fennel pollen and so I already had had a plan for it I guess Oh, um, so yeah, you. it was cool. It was cool. <laughs> Have you taken any of the creations from the show and implemented them as versions in your restaurants? Yeah. I mean, when people saw the show, there was a lot of excitement. It's fun to watch, right? Mm-hmm. And so people did want to see some of those uh, dishes. And strangely, um, the desserts, which I'm typically bad at, uh, were the dishes that made the menu because they're the most, they're the most normal and translatable. What's that? That was like a, a- Crepe pasta thing you yeah, did, exactly. right? Yeah, that did yeah. look like a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, that one worked. Yeah. <laughs> it's that childhood whimsy, right? Yes. Um, how did Chop compare with Firestarters? So um, they were same, same, but different. It's multi-round, uh, high pressure. You're running to get your ingredients. Things are happening. Um, you feel out of sorts because it's not something you're used to. Everything's weird. Firemasters, you had a little bit more control over your dishes. Uh, there was less silliness where chops, some of the, sometimes the, uh, the, the ingredients were, you know, you wouldn't ever typically use these in a kitchen where in a fire masters, um, they were all normal things. 
things you would typically expect. Yes. Okay. Yes. So yeah, a little less having to stretch your imagination about how you're going to be using this. Yeah. I, I, it, nothing was like, what am I doing with the jelly bear? You know, and it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was the hardest part about cooking on a reality TV show? Or is there something that people might find surprising about the process? I think for me, the most surprising thing is is the length of day and the um, there's someone with you all the time. There's over 100 people shooting the show. So there's bodies around you all the time. There's cameras, so many cameras around you. You don't see them when you're watching the show, but there was a lot of cameras on you all the time. If you went to the washroom, someone went with you. You went for a smoke, someone went with you. So it was a very... It was a very intense day. It was very exhausting. All, all the shootings I've done, at the end of the day, I was just, I was done. Like, I was mentally and physically done. Kind of a taste of what it'd be like to be a celebrity, just constantly having the paparazzi <laughs> following you around. Sure, let's go with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Were you almost kind of like looking over your shoulder after it was done? Like, is the camera still there? <laughs> no, no, I, uh, I think I, every time I've shot a show, I... Went, met with my business partner and friend, had a couple drinks, and then passed out quickly. (laughs) Well, it sounds like it was a long day. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. for sure. You talked a lot about the tortilla press on the show. How that was like the end goal um, that you wanted the money for. I've had the tortillas at your restaurant. Yes. The meal, they're delicious. Is the machine still working well today? Is it still kicking? It's, or? it's been a few years now. It uh, it <laughs> kicked the bucket a couple of years ago. Oh, no. Yeah, so still uh, it be. Well, I mean, I'm sure it was well-loved and well-used, yes, right? Yes, 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 yes. So I want to just focus a little bit on this episode about the creative process, because mm-hmm. obviously you're a very creative guy. You've yep. had to do a lot of recipe development, both on TV and within your restaurants. What drives your creative process when coming up with a new dish? There's no one thing. Um, there is a ton of of places I get inspiration. Um, I am a voracious reader, and uh, with the internet now, I mean, anything I even crosses my mind, I might just type into Google and see what else other people have been doing. And then when the seasons change, there's certain things like, oh, morel season. You know, morel season's coming on. I love morels. What am I going to do with them this year? Um, and, you know, when, when different plant life comes and goes. And then there's the seasons when, you know, when it gets cold and you want those, like, deep, dark braises, but sometimes it's just having a conversation with someone like yourself and you tell me about a great dinner you had or something you had as a child. And I go, oh, that's interesting. Sometimes it's traveling. Sometimes it's going to a restaurant and literally stealing an idea. Um, so I would say it comes from all sorts of places. A l- lot of times in this, in this new economy, it's how do I make money? Um, mm. Because, I mean, food's so expensive now. Inflation's it's, wild. You know, it's food. uncomfortable for everyone. And when we write a menu, uh, it, it's weird putting those prices next to items where you're like, really a burger is meant to be $20 now. It just feels weird, but that's what it has to be for a place to be successful. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of things that can happen. Cause you want to make delicious food and a lot of people are going out for an experience for and sure. while you're trying to keep things cost effective, you know, there's a line where you don't, yeah. you have to still be using quality yeah. and, so it sounds like there's kind of a, several creative processes going on there. How do we make this cost yeah. effective, but also really yeah. engage our, our customers? I mean, there's all sorts of things happening, depending what restaurant I'm working on. Sometimes we're trying to make something more streamlined. You need a certain station to have more or less items. You need more cold things. You need more hot things. You need things that are fast. You need things that are impressive. So there's a lot of different aspects to why something goes on a menu and 
a lot of variables to pull that off. Which actually brings me to my next question. How do you balance your own creativity developing dishes with what's trendy or say the preferences of your clients? Yeah, it's, it's funny. In, in Hamilton, people go on about how wonderful of a, a restaurant city it is. And I am friends with a lot of chefs here and I think there's a lot of great bites to eat. But I do think it's very unfortunate and it, I don't think Hamilton is nearly as good of a restaurant city as everyone says because I don't think there's a lot of chefs who get to do what they want to do. You can name very few restaurants in Hamilton where you can go in and you can see the personality of the chef on the menu. And I find that kind of sad, you know, because we have so much pressure to pay the rent, to pay the bills, to pay your employees that you have to be successful. And so, I mean, it's not, not fun to say, but uh, I'd be hard pressed to name a restaurant where, you know, the chef is showing them what you, they really want to do as opposed to, What's going to sell and make money? So what do you mean by the chef showing themselves? Like their mm-hmm. their particular style, what they're mm-hmm. inspired by in the moment? Or what do you mean by that? Sure. Just- so I think, first off, if you go to a lot of restaurants, you already know there's going to be some sort of whipped cheese dish and deep fried crispy thing. There's going to be a Brussels spout dish and there's going to be Korean fried whatever and all these things are being done because you kind of, they work, they're fast, they make money and people want them. And if I decide I want to serve you a stuffed pig's trotter or, you know, some crazy weird out there dish that I invented, in, you know, at the cottage when I was drunk, uh, even though I know what I'm doing, <laughs> you may not choose that on the menu. And um, what I, I, I personally love when I go to cities and where I see a menu that is not typical. That is something that you can tell they love. Um, they've chosen it for a reason, like a weird cut of pork or something they grew up with or um, like livers. And, and I, I mean, there's lots of weird ingredients that are wonderful that people shy away from. I've talked to, actually with several people mm-hmm. on the podcast about, you know, what foods inspire them. And a lot of it comes down to like their roots and maybe things that are for not sure. traditional. Yeah. Or like you're like you're describing. I was kind of chuckling to myself. That entire menu you just listed, I can actually think of like five different restaurants that have like yeah, yeah, all yeah. those things. I've yeah. never noticed that pattern until you just brought it up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you're right. They're they're a business. Yeah. But then you've got a chef who's essentially an artist in a way yeah. who just who wants to express themselves, but is limited by the fact they need to feed themselves, not just the it's clients. Tricky. It's it's an awkward. With the way rent is now, um, you can't really gamble as much as you used to. When I first opened Rapscallion way back when in Hamilton, we we could gamble. I bought a building very cheaply um, and by no design trying to make money on real estate just because I wanted to open a restaurant. And we had a really weird blackboard menu. We were ready to switch that into a burger concept if and when it didn't work. I remember that early yeah. menu. You had quirky things like totally. tongue and cheek yeah. and all sorts of things. And... and these are things I love, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. There's debone stuffed wings, which my dad taught me. And there's chicken liver brulee, which is a dish I, I learned oh and thought was wonderful. Oh my gosh, that thing was you know? delicious. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'd love to see this happen again, but I, I, it's it's awkward right now. It is awkward. Yeah, we're going through this era where everyone's having to tighten their belts. And unfortunately, the restaurant industry really suffers when that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, everyone. I mean, it's tough. Like, you want to spend a lot of money for dinner? 
you don't really want to, unless you have a wonderful experience where every, you know, everything's got a check mark next to it. You don't want to have like spend $150 and be like, well, I could have made something better at home. You know, that's, that's not acceptable. No, no, it's supposed to be a different experience. Yeah, for sure. That's why you go out. So being a chef, exploring new ingredients and finding applications for them in dishes. What's something new you've recently discovered or explored that you're actually excited about? <laughs> it, it, so I'm always finding uh, um, new ingredients. I mean, less as years go on, but there's still always new things. And it's funny. What's exciting me right now is trying to find items that I can make money on what we just talked about mm-hmm. um, that don't get enough love. And can I take, for instance, a chicken leg quarter, the drumstick and the thigh of a chicken leg? That's probably the only protein left that you can make money on. It's still cheap. Mm. But can I make something that you are excited about? So that's the sort of thing where I, I find great excitement and like, what can I do to this to make it exciting? So I've been doing all sorts of weird things. And I've been going back to La Rousse Gastronomique and I've read that, um, you know, it's a big, big book. It's the, the French Bible of cooking. Mm. And going from way back when, reading through the whole book. And there's all sorts of weird, wonderful things in there. So, um, yeah, it's 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 trying to do interesting things with very um, modest ingredients. Yeah, elevating them yeah. in a way. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I suppose after so many years and, like you said, traveling, you start to see a lot of different stuff. But... Mm-hmm you know, you're trying to tie it back to what's going to work here ultimately. For sure. Yeah. Although I'm sure you probably have a lot of interesting things in your cupboard in your fridge. I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, you'll find, I, I would guess, a lot of chefs in our in our world, for whatever reason, our favorite food typically turn, turns out to be some sort of Asian cuisine. Often because they offer interesting bites late at night when you finally finish your shift. Oh, the street You know, foods. it's all sorts of good things, right? Mm. In the arts, there is such thing as a creative block. Have you ever experienced a creative block as a chef? And how did you overcome it? I would say not really. When I was a younger chef, and you'll see, <laughs> I can tell when a, a, a younger chef where they are in their career, the first time they decide they really want to make creme fraiche or they want to make their own ketchup. And I'm like, okay, this is someone who's been through culinary school and they've been doing it for a couple of years and now they want to create some of their own things. And they always realize this is, it's either a waste of time or stupid. You can't make better ketchup. Everyone tries. <laughs> and you'll still see it sometimes. <laughs> and so I went through those, those phases as well where I tried everything and put weird ingredients together and saw something in a book and I copied it and did it. And you just keep going and going and you start to learn how ingredients work together. Um, with a little more confidence. When I when I first imagined dishes earlier in my career, they wouldn't necessarily turn out how I thought they would quite often. Whereas now, I have a pretty good guess where things will end up. So do I get blocks? I would say not really. Um, there's some times where I'm more excited about dishes than others. But no, there's a huge world and you're surrounded by all sorts of people and ideas and I, yeah, there's, it's a big world. So it no. helps to be connected with other chefs. I am for sure as well. Yeah. Yeah. You we kind of share your creativity. Yeah. It's the, the Hamilton chef group. It's pretty good. Like everyone, I, I chat with everyone and, uh, we have a couple of parties actually throughout the year where it's just chefs and none of the civilians are invited and we just hang out and cook and drink together. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. probably the most delicious party in town. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. It's pretty good. 
how do you stay inspired or keep the creativity alive when coming up with new recipes, especially when you're coming up against, say, some of the challenges we're having right now yeah. in the industry? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. And it's also my job as a, as the executive chef to push the younger chefs to show their own um, style. At first, you should, you're copying. Um, when you're a chef, you, you copy a lot. That's what I, I encourage people to do. You know, find out the old dishes that were wonderful and still are. Do them. Um, do the things I tell you to do and then keep reading. And so it's my job to push them to make new dishes and to try things and get excited and have successes and failures. Um, so that's where I see my role right now. I have a lot of good young, maybe not young anymore, younger than, younger than me, <laughs> chefs uh, trying to show, you know, what they can do mentoring a lot yeah for sure yeah so what is next for you in your career as the executive mm -hmm. chef is it is this kind of where you're focusing now is there new exciting things coming up for you it's interesting so as i get older i'm closing in on 50 it's weird i've never really seen a chef work the line in their 50s and be happy it's a physically demanding job mm -hmm. um it's tough and I love it still. I love being on the line. I love cooking. And then I cook on my days off. I'm not one of those chefs who's like, no, I'm taking my, day. you know. And so I'm trying to figure out um, how I can do that best as my career goes on. And there's a few things I want to do. And when we're talking about, I want to have a restaurant that's really me. Like, it's going to be small. It'll probably go back to my original roots and be a sort of blackboard type menu. That changes every single day according to what's inspiring me that day, that week, who who's coming in for dinner. Um, I want to do some. I want to be do exactly what I want to do. Luckily, right now our company seems to be growing healthily and doing well. And if that continues, um, I foresee I'll have a my own small little place, and I'll kind of step away from the executive chef role and have someone else step into it, and I will kind of just do what I want to do. That's I, my goal. I think that's a great goal. I yeah. think a lot of us would love to just do the thing we totally, want to do right? most, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll definitely be in line for the opening of that restaurant <laughs> because I remember those early day Blackboard and they were so creative. And it was fun. I can yeah. see why you would want to get back to that creative yeah, yeah, yeah. roots again. Yeah. So one of the traditions on the podcast is, uh, because it is a foodie podcast, that with any good meal or conversation, there's always some sort of takeaway container. So if there's one takeaway from this conversation you want listeners to have, what would it be? Yeah, I, I, this is one of these things where I've thought about this and nothing, there was no bolt of lightning where I'm like, ha ha, I'm going to have this deep wisdom morsel just left for you. <laughs> You know, um, I, I mean, I would say for, for myself, um, for young chefs, for people coming into the business, um, it's really important. You love doing this. I, I highly recommend, um, doing something else for a living unless you love cooking. Um, it's a long, hard day. And honestly, there's a bunch of us who genuinely love it and that's the way it should feel. And if it doesn't, um, I think you should do something else. I know. Like, yeah. The message is do the thing that you yeah, really love, sure. right? Yeah. Life's too short to do something that Big makes time. you miserable. Uh, yeah. It's weird. Some people just fall into the business. I get it. It's cool. Um, like we allow all, all, everyone to come into the business. There's no, there's no real hurdles in the beginning. So 
No, but uh, it sounds like it can yeah. be a really challenging career. Just I like, think so, yeah. 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 Like you've really got to work if you want to be successful yeah. at it. Yeah, and like if you're not going to be the top dog, it's, I don't think it's really worth it. Because there's only enough money to really pay the top couple people in a, in a restaurant. As I'm sure you know restaurants don't have tons of extra money just kicking around. So, no. yeah, unless you're going to be, you know, the one of the top couple of people, um, financially, it's not really, it's not that viable, you know? So, I mean, is this a depressing way to end things or what? No, yeah. not at all. I mean, it's do what you love. Restaurants can be challenging, <laughs> but there's a lot of creative chefs out there that want to cook for you the way they really would love totally. to cook for you. So we need to hopefully see some change out there that will allow those chefs to bring it back that creativity. It would be lovely. It would right? be lovely. There's yeah. the hopeful note. There okay. we go. All right. See? I'm in. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me. Pleasure. Everyone, be sure to go check out the restaurants as part of the Oddbird group. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with a whole new episode. Take care of yourselves, eat good food, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> the Sensible Foodie is written and produced by Kate Park. Theme music composed and performed by Robert Lash. The Sensible Foodie is a platform for sharing information and a celebration and love of food and is not intended as medical advice. If you have health concerns, be sure to talk to your healthcare team.